Welcome to Sunday School Church. Obviously, I am not here. That's why you see me on video. And I'm wearing my Nigerian garb, so you'll just have to look beyond that. I've recorded the fifth lesson on biblical grace. We weren't able to preach that last month because it was only four Sundays. This is a five-Sunday month. We just finished four Sundays on prayer. And so I'm just going to use this fifth Sunday to finish up our five biblical Uh, our lessons on biblical grace. So let's pray and we'll get into this because this one covers a lot. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you for this lesson on biblical grace. Bless our understanding, bless our mind, bless these lessons on other aspects of grace. Bless all the hearers in the future. Bless me as I teach it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to our fifth and final lesson on biblical grace. We title this one, Other Aspects of Grace. And so for four weeks now, and this being the fifth and final lesson that we've written thus far on grace, uh, we've covered lots of different aspects of grace. The Bible says in Peter that we're to be good stewards of the manifold, or as the one translation says, the multifaceted grace of God. And that brings to hearken our, our analogy we always use with a giant diamond, that there's all these different facets that comprise of a diamond. And so if the Bible says to be good stewards of the manifold or the multifaceted grace of God, then we ought to look at all the different facets of grace. Right now in America, the big emphasis is on grace that covers sin or grace that abounds when sin abounds. And that's great, but that's just one facet of grace. There's another facet of grace that we've covered previously. Titus says it teaches us, grace teaches us to deny ungodly and worldly lusts and to live clean and soberly and righteous in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. If all we ever do is focus on one facet of grace, we're just really a piece of glass. If all we do is focus on three or four facets, facets of grace, we're like a prism. But if we, if we want to be a beautiful diamond of grace... Well, we got to study the scriptures and find all the different facets that the Bible speaks of and begin to manifest those and prosper in them. So let's look at our lesson here. This one is other aspects of grace. So this covers three that we have not been able to cover in other lessons. But as we've seen and learned, grace is a multifaceted gift from God. Grace is designed to work in our life every day. And so with that, we ought to be looking for the graces of God to, to multiply and to increase in our life and not grow stagnant. Uh, it's a multifaceted gift. It means, uh, as we've said, the definition of grace is heaven's help or God's ability to work in and through you what you can't do yourself. That's grace. It's God helping us to do great things for him. If we could do it without God's help, it wouldn't be God and it wouldn't be him glorified. And so whenever the Lord calls you to do something, he's going to have to help you do it. And that help is called grace. So we talk a lot about, just in Christian lingo, about, uh, well, boy, they've, got a, they've developed a great grace for kids. Or they've developed a grace for singing. Or they've got a tremendous grace for teaching. And if the Lord calls you to do something, let me encourage you, you don't have to feel like you're called. You don't even have to feel good at it. All you have to have is a calling from the Lord and the Lord telling you, because he doesn't offer, he usually commands. If, if, you, if he commands you, then you have to depend on his grace. And so it would be a wise thing to say is, Lord, you've asked me to do this for you. You've commanded me to do it. Now you have to grace me. I need your help to do this. And I've often found the things the Lord calls us to do are not what we would choose. Because if we were to choose it, then we would just be doing it out of sheer human joy and sheer human ability. And God wouldn't be glorified through that. He's going to call us to do things we can't possibly do 
ourselves. So our first subject here is speaking with grace. The Bible's very clear on this. There's times we cannot speak because we have no grace to do it. And so we want to look at that concept. Sometimes I'd say, uh, I just didn't have any liberty. I didn't have any freedom to say that. And because of that, I couldn't say it. Another way of saying it is I didn't have the grace to say it. And you understand that when you want to correct somebody, in, when you're in leadership, you want to help somebody, there has to be a grace there to help them. There has to be a grace there to speak to them. If not, uh, you're going to get a black eye. You're going to get uh, a hard heart. So Paul talked about speaking according to the grace that was given him. Where a lot of Christians miss it is they know truth, but they don't have permission to speak it. They know understanding, they know wisdom, but they don't have the liberty to declare the thing. And that's called speaking with grace or violating that and speaking without grace. As Christians living under the dispensation of grace, we should take heed to and have a thorough understanding uh, of the grace of God and how it should work in our lives. James 3.2 says this, For in many things we offend all. Well, amen to that, hallelujah, we're all guilty of that unless we don't have a tongue. I'd say even if you did sign language, you probably offended somebody with something you said in sign language. And even if it wasn't with sign language, it was definitely with a, a rolled eyes or a humph. We offend in how we communicate. James says, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. So there's no such thing as a perfect man. We're all going to offend. Oddly enough, I probably offend more than anybody because I do the most talking as a pastor. And even in private, I still, my mouth gets me in trouble. I am an opinionated person. And as anybody with their opinions, I believe mine are right. And if you disagree, you just need to get on board my groovy train and you'll become a better person. But it's sometimes in being that way, you offend folks. So we're always working to offend, not on purpose. If we do offend, we offend on accident. But we're always working to improve our offense quota. And we're wanting to decrease it. Uh, you're always, if you preach the gospel, you're always going to offend somebody. God is offensive. So we're not talking about that kind of offense. We are talking about the offense that comes when you just your mouth gets you in trouble and you're too opinionated. The Bible says of, of women and of bishops uh, there in Timothy that we're to be sober-minded. And one of the definitions in the Greek means moderate as concerning your opinion. Moderate as concerning your opinion. And so what that means is you have your opinions, nothing wrong with that, but you moderate how much you share them. Some folks, I mean, you just bump into them, they're going to give you their opinions. They don't have grace to do that. They're violating the grace of God. So we need to look at this thing about speaking with grace. James promises us that our mouth can, will, and does offend people. Since so much of our life is defined by the words of our mouth, we can expect to find scriptures teaching us how grace can affect our mouth. Now think about that. So much of the Bible revolves around our mouth. By your words, you're justified. By your words, you're condemned. Uh, your, your tongue is a deadly poison. It's a world of iniquity full of venom. Uh, the, the, the venom of asps is under their tongue. All this stuff talks about, James says, how we offend all. And so that would seem to say, well, my goodness, I need God's help with my mouth. Certainly, grace can be applied to our mouths. And sure enough, we find scriptures that back that up. Don't forget the definition of grace means this, to have goodwill towards somebody, to, to show loving kindness, to show favor, to be cheerful, to rejoice and be well and thrive. So we ought to be able to find scriptures encouraging this kind of stuff coming out of our mouth. 
uh, we ought to find scriptures that talk about goodwill coming out of our mouth and loving kindness and cheerfulness and joy, uh, rejoicing to be well and to thrive. Ephesians 4.29 and 30 show us this very thing. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed forth out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Now notice, corrupt communication coming out of your mouth. Paul says, don't let it happen. But only that which is good to the use of edifying. That nails all of us there. Not, there's not a single one of us that everything we've ever said edified everybody we were talking to. Even a good Holy Ghost rebuke will edify. Even a good Holy Ghost pounding will edify because it tore something wicked down and laid a, a righteous foundation. But we're talking about being snide. We're talking about being critical. We're talking about being opinionated. Uh, you have to be mindful. Not, not everybody's equipped for your opinions. And so we have to ask the Lord, if you're an opinionated person, and I am, and so I, I, there's nothing wrong with being opinionated because I, I think technically we're all opinionated because we all possess opinions. But what you have to be mindful of is how much of them are you forcing on people? How much are you giving your opinion when you're not asked? Uh, you know, leadership is uh, permitted to share opinions when nobody asks because they're leading and they're going to lead based on what they believe is right and wrong. But if we're not in leadership, we really ought to judge ourselves and temper ourselves to make sure we're not out of control with the propagation and the crop dusting of our opinions, right? So that's something worth considering. Uh, let no corrupt communication proceed forth out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. Notice that it says that what needs to come out of our mouth is things that minister grace. What is grace? Well, once again, it's help. Things that minister help. Not just help, you know, because they, during the Civil War when they couldn't save limbs, they just sawed them off. <laughs> that, in a sense, was a rough, violent kind of help. A lot of Christians, in their opinions, they say, I'm helping you. You're sawing a limb off that somebody with a lot more skill could save. And maybe uh, 400 years ago, your opinion would have been a encouraging helpful. Today, it's like a hacksaw. <laughs> so we want to make sure we temper even our opinions because we can hack people to death with our opinions. And even sometimes uh, you, when you share them, if somebody were to say, I didn't ask, well, does that offend you? you? You ought to be willing to be rebuked over your opinions. We as Americans, we give them way too much. You should wait till you're asked before you give your opinion instead of sometimes just being a big old opinion bully, just kind of barging in and say, I think this looks ugly in here. Well, we didn't ask. I have a recommendation for you. We didn't ask. Be careful. You want to make sure that what you say ministers grace to the hearer. And one of the greatest skills you could learn as a communicator in the kingdom, as a discipler, is to recognize when you have something that not just will help, but it's the right season to apply it. There's a reason, even like the Lord Jesus Christ, here's a good example. He told the disciples, I have many things to say unto you, but you're not able to hear them yet. Notice that Jesus, because he was the Lord God, he could have spoken everything in one sermon, but it wouldn't have done them any good. It would have technically been unhelpful help. It would have been unhelpful truth because they were not able to hear it yet. And so Jesus, in essence, was demonstrating, I don't have the grace, though he was grace and he was truth and he is grace and truth. 
he did not have the permission from heaven to share the many things he wanted to say yet. And we know that the next verse says, but he, when the spirit of truth comes, he shall receive of me and share it unto you. Jesus was going to say many things to them over the rest of their life as they were able to hear it. And so what Jesus was basically waiting for was this grace or this permission to speak and give them help. Amen. Notice that we need to speak things that minister grace into the hearer. So corrupt communication isn't always just cuss words, and it all isn't always just hateful things. It's anything that doesn't minister grace. It can be unhelpful help. Unhelp, excuse me. Unhelpful help is not grace-filled help. Unhelpful truth is not grace-filled truth. You have to be mindful that the Lord wants to help you communicate. The Lord wants to help you share what he puts in you. And there's a time in a season. There's a time to be quiet, and there's a time to shout. And you have to learn this. Some people just talk too much. Some people don't share enough. It says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Notice that speaking without grace grieves the Holy Spirit. Corrupt communication grieves the Holy Spirit. And what is corrupt communication? Anything that does not minister grace. And so that means being overly opinionated and not being moderate as concerning your opinion. Back to me as a pastor, I'm very opinionated. I have an opinion on everything, but you may never know my opinion on most things because you don't ask or I don't have a grace to share it with you. Just because you know it doesn't mean you have to share it. But some people, they just kind of, you know, steamroll their opinion everywhere because they're convinced they're right. What I like to point out is, I've said this to a couple people before, all I have to do is look at your life and your opinion isn't working for you. Why would it work for me? Or as I told one person, they said, I disagree with you. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that opinion. And I said, well, your life doesn't qualify you to disagree with me. Look at the quality of your life and look at the quality of my life. If when your life surpasses what I do for God and the quality I get to live, then you might be listened to <laughs> or at least have some humility about you. But we have to look at the quality of our life. If you want to see how worthwhile your opinion is, just look at the quality of life you live. How much fruit is it bearing for you? And when you have good fruit in your life, then it might be worth plucking off and sharing with people. Amen. According to the Bible, corrupt communication isn't just dirty words and foul language, though it does include that. It is anything that does not edify or administer grace to the hearer. We want to make sure that our words are seasoned with grace. Therefore, incorrupt communication will always be filled with edification and grace. It will always be filled with elegance, charm, favor, sweetness, and that which affords joy. There's a time to rebuke, and you have to have the permission to. As a pastor, I can tell you I, I have a lot of permission from God and authorization to rebuke and correct folks. And many times I want to go to somebody and correct them, but I don't have the grace to. The Lord won't let me. I don't have his help. And if I were to rebuke them, it would not produce any effect God wanted it to. It would probably blow up in my face. So I have to wait and pray for that person to hear what I have to say or pray that they would come and ask me, Pastor, what do you think? I have to wait for them to come and ask seven men who can render a reason. Pastor, you're one of my seven. Can you render a reason? Can you judge this for me? I notice that when people begin to withdraw and get counsel from outside the church on spiritual things that the, the church should be offering to them, they're usually not going to get much help from where they're supposed to get help from. It's sad, and I watch it over and over again, but it's just part of the kingdom, I suppose. Shouldn't be, but it is. Corrupt communication grieves the Holy Spirit of God, 
which is the spirit of grace. The Bible says, what, uh, what happens if we frustrate the grace of God? What happens if we do despite unto him? A mouth that lacks grace will always get you in trouble. Just rude, opinionated, no, no sweetness about you. You can be overly sweet, but you know what I mean. No tact about you. Just always opinion. You know what I was thinking? We, we didn't ask, so don't share it with us. Keep it to yourself. I, I like the scripture in Proverbs that says a man's gift. If your opinion is really a gift from God, Proverbs says a man's gift will make room before him and bring him before great and mighty men. When, when it's truly a, a gift from God, a, a, a nugget of wisdom, and a, more than just a mere human opinion, but when it's truly something from God, it will make room. He'll make room for you to bring that thing forward. Years ago, when I was first pastoring, it was amazing when I was first pastoring, it's like it, it sent a signal out into the spirit realm that there's a new guy on the block. Let's prove him. And every weirdo fruitcake from hither, thither, and yon came to see what they could get away with in this church. They just didn't realize that the Lord had trained me properly and I had been brought up under some good pastors. And I didn't just attend their church. I let those pastors actually speak into my life and correct me and rebuke me. And I actually served in those churches. I didn't just warm a chair. And this one woman, it's always women. Uh, you know, I've had a couple of ding-dong knucklehead men, uh, but the, probably Jezebel is a woman. Uh, I've, ne- uh, I've never had any men get close enough or sly enough to try to steal the church or affect me. But women, boy, I don't know. It's that Jezebel thing. It's a spirit. I had this one woman. She came for like three weeks, and she sat kind of, uh, you know, they always kind of sit in the very back or something, and they, she would never enter in. She never really took notes. Uh, she, um, I don't know, she, she had this air about her. She wasn't humble. She wouldn't come to me in service. But uh, she, I could tell she was spying us out. She was like watching Double Dutch and looking for her opportunity to jump in and be a part of what we're doing. And I don't, I want that, but it wasn't with the right heart. You could easily see that. And I remember one day she called the church and Ginger said, Pastor, there's a lady on the phone wants to talk to you. We made a rule after that phone call. I said, never give me the phone. Take a message, find out what they want, give me their number. And if I feel so led of God, I'll give them some of my time. So this woman gets on the phone and uh, she was upset because I had preached against Christian television, which I do from time to time because I don't think there's much good on Christian television. There's a few things good, but not much. And uh, she said, I, she kind of chewed me out a little bit. I don't know what people think they can come into somebody's church as just a newbie and chew the pastor out. I mean, if you're going to disagree, go away and do it. But she just wanted to give me an earful. And she said, you, you said all, all television preachers were worthless and, and of the devil. And I said, no, I, I didn't say that. We can listen to the CD if you want. No, you said it. I heard you. I said, ma'am. Number one, I'm on Christian television, so I don't think I'm worthless. Number two, my good friend, Pastor Mike, he's on Christian television locally. I don't think he's worthless. I said, number three, my pastor is on international Christian television. I don't think he's worthless. So you took what I said out of context. Blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, well, ma'am, what can I help you with? And she said, well, well, nothing. I was hoping I could help you. And my first thought, it just, you know, it's like slow motion and your mind begins to process who in the world do you think you are 
Come to my church, three services, call me up to rebuke me over one thing you disagreed with and still think you're going to have the leeway to influence my life. And so I quickly cut her off. I said, man, let me, let me tell you how this works. I have a pastor and his name is not you. And you're not going to help my church any because you're not submitted. I said, I'll tell you exactly what you are. You're a vagabond. You're a drifter. You're a Jezebel. You're a false prophetess. You just want to come in and spy our liberty and see what you can get away with. And I don't need your help. I was doing just fine before you drifted into my church and wanted to take over. And so the reason you're a miserable woman is because you won't sit down and submit anywhere. Have a good day. She said, well, I never. And I hung up on her. <laughs> and I felt pretty good. And that's when I chewed Ginger out and said, Ginger, no more just cold phone calls. I want to know who it is because I don't want to waste an afternoon thinking about knuckleheads when I got other work I can be doing. So we've developed protocol. So you do that to enough people. It's like the word gets out in the spirit realm and all the weird people go to the other churches because they don't come to my church. Hallelujah. So I don't know what that's about. Maybe a, la a mouth that lacks grace will always get you in trouble. You know, I've been submitted to my pastor for going on eight years and I've never once told him what he should do. He's never asked me. Oh, he may have asked, well, I may take it back, he may have asked me something, but he doesn't need my help. If he wants my help, he'll ask me. I know how to help my pastor, though. Pray for him. I sow tithes and offerings to his ministry. I send him cards. This is what my wife and I do. We send him a card every birthday, every anniversary. We send them stuff for Valentine's. We send them stuff for Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas. And I said birthdays already. We, we have our pastors. Every major event in their life is on our calendar. And we're always sending them cards of our girls. We're sending them gift cards. We're sending them offerings. Because I, it's, what I give him financially is nothing to him. But it's an encouragement. It lets them know that we love them. We always say, we love you. We're praying for you. The girls scribble their hands. They throw change in there. It's their little offering. It's just 15 or 16 cents. That helps my pastor. I've never once told my pastor how he can run his ministry better. Because you know what? I don't know how to run a ministry as big as his. So I don't have grace to say that. But if he wants to ask my opinion on something, he will. And I'll say, well, pastor, I... If you're asking, I, I might look at it this way, or I might, I might do something that way. I've learned that if I keep my mouth shut and just get around him, I learn a lot. I like what one man said. Uh, actually, it's kind of a proverb. Better to keep your mouth shut and nobody think you're a fool than to open your mouth and relieve all doubt. <laughs> Better to keep your mouth shut and nobody think you're a fool. Nobody know you're a fool. That's how it goes. This isn't in the book of Proverbs, but... Better to keep your mouth shut and nobody realize you're a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I've learned just to be quiet. That way you have less to repent over. Let's look at some Proverbs real quick on the mouth. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Well, when you're full of grief, you're not going to be grace to speak because grace isn't going to provoke anger. Proverbs 16.14, the wrath of the king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. Uh, so, you, you know, a wise man with words of grace, he can pacify the king's death. You know, the king can declare a death sentence over you. Your boss can kill your career. Uh, your principal, your teacher can kill your semester. But a wise man with words of grace can pacify that. Proverbs 25, 15 in the Amplified. By long forbearance and calmness of spirit, a judge or ruler is persuaded. 
And soft speech breaks down the most bone-like resistance. Notice there again, we see grace in speech. The, most, the soft speech breaks down the most bone-like resistance. Instead of copping an attitude and fighting back and arguing back, have answer full of, a mouthful of grace. Answer something. Be quick to repent. Be quick to apologize. I remember years ago, I was, uh, I was frustrated with the pastor I was serving. I was his right-hand man. And I went into him to try to make things right. And uh, he was having me preach a lot. And then after I would get done preaching, I was a much younger man there. And uh, he was helping me to get better. But after I'd preach, he would critique me so much to the nth degree, I, I was just full of fear. Because I didn't feel like I could stand right. He was going to critique me. I didn't feel like I could say this right. I didn't feel like I could say that right. And there's got to be room to make mistakes. And if every time a young preacher preaches and you give them 25 things they did wrong, that, that's not going to help. You know, you give them one or two things to work on. Because other than that, there's not going to be anything really wrong. But when you start nitpicking something, it produces such a, a heavy burden. And so I've got a good mind. And so every time I get to preach, I would slalom. I, as I'm trying to preach and minister the word, I'm also in the back of my mind making sure I don't say things this way, make sure I don't stand this way, make sure I explain it this way like he wants me to explain it. And, and trying to preach my message that the Lord's laid on my heart and also please my pastor through this 25-point list. And I, I, it was just, it was wearing me out. And I finally said, look, I, please just sit me down. But anyway, I pointed out our differences just asking for mercy. And I, I said something, not meaning to, but I said something that really upset him. I, just, I said, you know, you're more line upon line in your exegetical studies. And I said, I, I just kind of share out of my heart and preach out of Revelation. I said, you're an engineer and I'm not. And that upset him for some reason. And I wasn't trying to upset him. I was just trying to point out the obvious. And he blew up on me. And uh, I've never seen any pastor blow up like that. And it scared me. And I dropped my head and, and, and I said, whoa, I've, I've really done pastor wrong now. And, I, and all I could say was, I, I'm sorry, pastor. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't, if that upset you, I didn't mean to upset you. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry. It's the only thing I knew to do to pacify the situation and break down the bone-like resistance that had come out of nowhere. Whether he was right or wrong, heaven will sort it out. But I, I had to repent and give words of grace. Proverbs 22, 11, He that loves pureness of heart for the grace of his lips... Notice that, the grace of his lips. He that loves pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Notice you get grace working in your mouth. Uh, you'll have friendships very high up. I always notice opinionated people get resisted by authority. I notice opinionated people, uh, people who are busy with life and doing something, they don't have time for heavily opinionated people. This verse says, for the grace of your lips... Even the king will be your friend because he needs to hear some good things. Ecclesiastes 10.4, if the ruler of the spirit, excuse me, the spirit of the ruler rises up against thee, leave not your place for yielding pacifies great offenses. I've preached that one a lot. I love that verse. Uh, yield, pacify it. Let grace extinguish that thing. Grace-filled words can deliver you from any, excuse me, from many bad circumstances, but a voice of attitude and arrogance, and I might add opinion, will only dig you a deeper pit. Uh, there's some other scriptures to look at. Now, this is the important verse that I hinge this whole, this next verse here, Romans 12, 3, I hinge this whole section on. Watch this. Paul writing to the Romans, he said this in verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me. Notice he's, basically he's saying, if I didn't have a grace, I couldn't say what I'm about to say to you. 
you want, you, if you want to zoom out over the whole New Testament or the Pauline epistles, and if you look at the epistles, Colossians and Ephesians are very similar. Hebrews is a beast altogether on its own. Timothy and Timothy are very unique. Titus is a total flavor. Corinthians is unlike any of the other epistles. Thessalonians has its own issues. And you see that there's not many messages repeated. The the most duplicitous message or the most repeated message is Ephesians and Colossians. They're almost word for word in many passages the same. But every other epistle he wrote dealt with different topics. Why didn't Paul write to the Ephesian church about the gifts of the Spirit? Well, because he wasn't permitted to. He didn't have grace to. Why didn't he write to the Thessalonian church about the fruit of the Spirit? He wrote to the Galatian church. Well, because he didn't have grace to. God wanted him to say something else. So notice that Paul, everywhere he went, he was not a broken record. That's critical. When your mouth is full of grace, you're not just going to say the same thing everywhere you go. Because everywhere you go, they don't need to hear the one thing you've got. Everywhere you go, there's going to be a different problem. Think about it this way. It's like Christians are supposed to be general practitioners. We can help any situation. But it's like a general practitioning doctor saying, uh, I I, I only check tonsils. I only check tonsils. And his patients come through all day long. And they say, well, no, my ears hurt. I'm here to check tonsils. But my ears hurt. I don't do ears. I just check tonsils. Well, my tonsils are fine. I I just check tonsils. That's an opinionated person. There's a lot more to the kingdom than just checking tonsils. And if you'd get in the word of God, you'd be able to find the grace of God to fix every situation everywhere you go. That is a well-rounded Christian, not this one-hit wonder, broken record like Raymond. I I, I check tonsils. I I, I check tonsils. This is what I'm passionate about. I, 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 I check tonsils. That's great. There's a lot more to the Bible than just tonsil checking. Paul said something different everywhere he went. Even the Lord Jesus, when he spoke to the seven churches of the Apocalypse in Revelations 2 and 3, said something different to each of the churches because there was a different problem at hand. I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. That's something he said by grace. He couldn't say it anywhere else. Paul only spoke what he had grace to speak. Many people hurt themselves by opening their mouth without having the grace or permission or liberty to say something. Even a fool is counted wise when he keeps his mouth shut. That's Proverbs 17, 28. Without grace to speak, many times you will only be intruding into someone's life and they will not receive what you have to say. Hear that again. Without grace to speak, many times you'll only be interrupting or bullying or inserting yourself into someone's life and they will not receive what you have to say and honestly in america in the south we just call it rude and if you want to know why doors get slammed in your face rude has a lot to do with it <laughs> uh, a word spoken uh, a proverb says uh, words fitly framed like uh, golden apples on silvers of tray it's uh, trays of silver that's that's what our words need to be grace-filled Not a one-hit wooden spoon checking tonsils. Definitely, definitely. Wapner at five got tonsils at six. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Notice how to answer every man. Grace has an answer for every man. Grace doesn't just check every man's tonsils. Grace knows how to troubleshoot joints. Grace knows how to troubleshoot eyes. Grace knows how to troubleshoot appendix. Grace knows how to troubleshoot elbows. Grace knows how to troubleshoot a scar, an infection, a cough, a fever. 
But if we're not careful as Christians, we get into this rut and we become a one rut wonder. And it, what's the wonder, you ask? Why we, how can we go anywhere in life? <laughs> Let your grace be always with, excuse me, your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so you know how to answer every man. Have an answer for every man, not just your favorite answer, that becomes an opinion, but the answer that that person needs. Colossians takes it further and says that we must always have grace in our mouth or in our speech. Grace knows how to answer every man. We season our answers with gospel salt to make the hearer thirsty for the living water. Amen. I could teach more and more and more on that. Let's move on to singing with grace. We only have a few minutes left and we still got a page and a half to go. Lord, help us. Just as there is to be grace in our speech, so there must also be grace in our singing. Without grace in our singing, that's praise and worship, the singing will just be singing. The ingredient of grace or humility turns a worship song into worship. We could give a worship song to the heathen. God won't show up. Amen. Without grace, there would be no difference between our singing and heathen singing. And quite honestly, the heathen probably sing better than the Christian church does. But God hears our heart and makes our singing infinitely more powerful than Whitney Houston singing the Star Spangled Banner strung out on heroin. She has a beautiful voice, but she died of a drug overdose. But you get somebody who can't sing very well, sing Jesus Loves Me with all their heart. God will show up. It'll be the most amazing song you've ever heard. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Heaven's help in your heart, humility, joy, rejoicing, passion, singing because you love it. It's all about the heart anyway. Sing with all of your heart. Uh, we, we had a lady that used to go here, Autumn. Many of you know Autumn. She was in a car accident, and it left her horribly crippled and mentally. Her brain was damaged, brain damage in a full wheelchair. And she couldn't talk anymore, but she could communicate through grunts. And during worship, that girl, that woman now, she's in her mid-20s, she would begin to moan and wail. And if you didn't know her, you'd think, what's wrong with her? She was worshiping. That's how she was expressing herself. Uh, her, she, her family would tell me she would hear my voice and begin to moan and grunt because she recognized her pastor. It wasn't beautiful speech by our ears. It wasn't articulate speech, but it was a grace in her heart singing, I love Jesus. And you know, the Lord heard that heart coming through a broken vessel with brain damage from a tragic car accident. Grace in the heart is how we sing. Amen. Without a heart of grace, a worship song is just a performance, and we've all seen that. Many heathen are much more talented singers than many Christians, but their songs don't glorify Jesus, nor do they manifest the presence of God. The quality of the sound doesn't make the song pleasing unto God. It is the quality of the heart singing the song that makes the song pleasing unto God. Psalm 66 one says, Make a joyful noise unto, the, unto God, uh, all you lands. Uh, Make a joyful noise. My wife loves that verse because she doesn't sing very well. I don't sing good. She sings less than me. And so the joyful noise is, uh, is how she does it. Somebody, it was me, if you want to know who somebody was. Somebody said she couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. That was me. The bucket had holes in the bottom. Uh, but you make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you land. Psalm 66, 1. Seven times the Bible tells us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Remember that the root word for grace is the Greek word joyful. So it all comes back to this heart here. 
Uh, We could teach on that, but I got to keep moving. Partaking of another man's grace. This is very critical. And again, this lesson is just other aspects of grace. There is an element in the body of Christ when you get around great men and women of God who have a grace upon their life. They have mastered or pioneered, or maybe we shouldn't say mastered, but they really got it working well, a grace upon their life to do something for the kingdom. If you'll get around them, you can partake of that grace on their life. And we'd say it rubs off on you. And that's a critical spiritual law we need to understand. We, we desire in this church to, to pioneer many graces that cause other churches want to come to us and say, how do you do that? And allow them to partake of our grace and allow us to impart into them and to train them. Because we do it with other churches. I learn stuff uh, from every church I go to, every mission church, every mission field I go to. I endeavor to be a partaker of their grace so I can bring it back to my church and further help our church. God has designed the body of Christ to benefit from one another. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We can rub off on one another as iron sharpening iron. This is what this precept means to uh, be partakers of another man's grace. Philippians 1.7 says this. Even Paul said, even as it is good for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in so much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all all are partakers of my grace. He told the Philippians, you all are partakers of my grace. He didn't tell that to any other church. He said this to the Philippian church because he had grace to say it, but it's an observation. He said, because I have you in my bonds. Their their heart was very knit with Paul. He bragged on that in Philippians 4. He said, you know how that in the beginning of this gospel, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. The Philippian church, their heart was very dearly knit to Paul. Paul was tremendously dear to them. And because of that heart connection that they were in control of, they partook of Paul's grace the things that were upon his life. We know that even the, the apostle over the Philippian church was Epaphroditus. He probably was the pastor, though Paul calls him an apostle in the Greek, where he says, you're messenger, but my servant. The Greek word messenger there, I believe it's Philippians chapter 2 or 3, is the Greek word apostolos or apostle. He himself took the offering to Paul. He didn't send anybody else. He's the apostle to the Philippian church, but he delivered the offering to Paul himself because he just wanted to bless the man of God. And I understand that. I've been there many times. I couldn't wait to go be with my pastor to bless him with an offering from our church. This church loved Paul, and they partook of his graces. The Philippian church was a partaker of Paul's grace. It would have been evident that they were founded and pastored by the apostle Paul. You could have walked into his church, that church, and said, Paul's here. This is how Paul does things. This is how Paul stands. These are Paul's favorite worship songs. You preach just like Paul. Yes, I do. He trained me in the gospel. That's a wonderful testimony. Everybody ought to have a spiritual lineage where where folks can recognize that you belong to somebody. Otherwise, you're illegitimate vagabonds just drifting in the kingdom. His imprint would have been upon them. This church would have looked and would have been governed and administrated differently than one of the Apostle Peter's churches. And I think we could understand that. You can understand how Peter had his way of doing things, and those churches were just as dear to Peter as Paul's churches were dear to Paul. But they had a different flavor. Peter went to the Jews, Paul went to the Gentiles, and it was all the will of God. God places graces upon 
individuals so that they can go and minister that grace to the rest of the body of Christ. I have had the honor of serving five pastors, and I still believe in, uh, that their influence is upon my life, a supernatural grace deposit, however you want to word it. We're just talking semantics now. I went to Lester Summerall's Bible school, and I remember the very first Wednesday night, I did Wednesday night service. We used to, put the, we used to have a pulpit we put down on the floor there, and I, I bowed my head to pray to kick off my first Wednesday night service as pastor, and that would have been uh, either the end of October, the first Wednesday of November, 2008, seven, 2007. And uh, I bowed, no, it was, two, no, it was 2007. And I bowed my head, and as soon as I did, I felt just like Dr. Lester Summerall. I mean, it was crazy. I felt short like him. I felt gruff like him. I walked around in the whole service. I thought, I feel like, pardon the spooky New Age terminology, but I feel like I'm channeling Lester Summerall. This feels really weird to me. And I didn't say anything about it. And then Steve Wolf, who was from Indiana and is very familiar with Lester Summerall's ministry, he came up to me after Wednesday night service, and he said, Pastor, can I say something that sounds weird to you? And I said, yeah, sure. He said, I looked up after we got done praying, I looked at you, and he said, you look just like Lester Sumrall to me. And obviously, I look nothing like Lester Sumrall, but I, I believe it was just that grace coming upon me. There's times I felt just like Pastor Vaughn, just in preaching, and there's times I feel just like Dr. Barclay. That's partaking of another person's grace, and it's a good thing because it's a biblical thing. Let me run through some examples real quick with the time we've got left. Examples of partaking of another man or woman's grace. Timothy and Titus would have ministered and preached a lot like Paul. That was their father in the faith. They wouldn't have so much looked like Peter or James or John or Bartholomew. Uh, they would have really looked like Paul. You would have been able to say that's one of Paul's boys. He was their spiritual father and they partook of his grace. Paul desired that Titus would return to the Corinthian church so they might be partakers and abound in Titus's grace as is revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, Paul said, I desire that Timothy might return to you that he might complete the grace that he started in you. They were going to partake of something Tim excuse me, Titus had that Paul didn't. Why else would Paul send Titus except that Paul lacked the grace, but he wanted the Corinthian church to have what Titus had working on his life. Paul desired to minister to the Roman church in person so that he could impart into them some spiritual gift. The word spiritual gift there in the Greece is charisma, which means grace gift. He literally said, I want to come unto you so that I can deposit a grace gift in your ministry, in your church, in your life. That's evident there. You can become a partaker of, an, of another, another, blah, another man's gift. The Lord called me to Dr. Sumrall's Bible school so I could receive from his grace and catch his vision for world missions, and we're still trekking in that vein. I at times minister and feel just like each of my former pastors, as I've previously testified. I believe this is the manifestation of the deposit of their ministry and grace in my life. I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, many times when I come back from being with Dr. Barclay, I feel like I stand just like him. I feel like I sound just like him. I feel like I hold my hands just like him. And I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I, it just means I have a spiritual father. And I think I, think I know. I, I catch that because when I, I'm around him, my heart says, I want to be like you. So when I come back, I am. You can be around somebody and, and say, I don't want to be anything like you. And in your heart, you shift away. 
and you come around and there's no influence on you. But when you in your heart say, I want what that man has, I want what that woman of God has, you can catch it and it changed your life. As long as you say, I'm, I just want to be my own man, well, then you're going to be no man because nobody has it on their own. Our church partakes of the grace of Dr. Barclay's life and ministry because of this. We are much more organized, disciplined, and doing more for the kingdom of God than at any point in this church's history. We are doing more now for the kingdom than we've ever done, and I directly credit that to being connected to Dr. Barclay's ministry not so much this church, but it is this church, but me and the way we are learning things because I have a pastor over me. It is my prayer, though, that through these lessons, we've been able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that we've uh, been able to catch this and learn more about grace and say there's not just one kind of grace, it's multifaceted and that I want as much of it as possible. Hopefully your heart says that. Don't just stick with your one hit wonder. Uh, don't just stick with that one thing you like. There's a lot more to the kingdom than your favorite doctrine or your favorite nugget of opinionated wisdom. Amen. Father, bless these lessons. Bless this pod school. Bless those that listen to this and watch this. Father, I thank you for allowing us to teach your word. May we be partakers of your abundant grace and may we be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.